Welcome to CyberCast. I'm Amy Kluber, and I'm at FCA West, speaking with Rear Admiral Christopher Bartz, Assistant Commandant of C4 at the U.S. Coast Guard. Thank you so much for joining me today. Great. Thanks for having me. So start us off, what are your top three IT priorities, and how do you see that contributing to developing information superiority for the Coast Guard? Great, great question. So I think, you know, what we've done is uh, we have just reorganized our IT organization. We have a, um, a program office that is aligned to um, programs and products. Our program office is aligned to our service center, which is our delivery point. And um, so uh, when we made that transition, um, we lost some um, some uh, personnel that uh, had been there for a while, and we we gained others, right? So we have a, a new group of people. Um, some are familiar with the Coast Guard. Some are not familiar with the Coast Guard. Many are uh, former DOD employees. And so um, really it's kind of a – I think the first thing is a talent management strategy. And the way that we're approaching that is in our new commandant strategy, she says to be brilliant at the basics. And so um, kind of really letting the the workforce understand what the Coast Guard problem set is because they might be unfamiliar with that. Being really good at program management. So understanding how we're resourcing, how we're prioritizing, uh, what kind of outcomes should we expect? How do you speak to your operational customers? Like if you're talking in ones and zeros, they're not going to understand that. You have to talk in terms that they can understand. Hey, I'm going to either get it, get the ship underway or not. Uh, this ship is either mission capable or it's partially mission capable or it's not mission capable. So having those kinds of conversations. <clears throat> so that talent management is a little bit different than what most people think of, right? They think of recruitment, onboarding, training, you know, retention. I'm thinking more about the training piece and how do we, not just training, but reps and sets, right? So we're proficient. So that's the first one, talent management. I think the second one would be along the lines of programmatics is understanding where our resources are going and how those resources are being prioritized. And then uh, the third one is being able to have a risk-based discussion with um, programs, with operator, operators to um, maybe not gain consensus, but at least gain transparency on what we're resourcing and what we're not resourcing, right, and where we're taking risks. So, for example, uh, when I talk to the my peer who's an admiral in charge of uh, the uh, regulatory part of the Coast Guard, he's got a lot of needs. Um, those needs are not related to ships, boats, airplanes. Um, he needs IT capabilities in order to do his job. Um, he is engaging with the public. He is engaging with industry. He needs IT tools in, in order to do that. And so uh, I need to understand what his needs are, and he under needs to understand what I'm resourcing him to, and we need to be able to talk about the difference between the needs and what's actually being resourced 
and talking about that in terms of, of risk. <clears throat> what aren't you capable of doing? Uh, what does that mean to the public? What does that mean to, to your organization? Uh, what does that mean to Congress? Those are all important conversations to have that um, because we haven't had that resourcing transparency in the past that um, that we need we need to have those risk conversations. So those are my top three uh, top three priorities. Okay, lots to unpack there, but um, it's definitely really important this day and age of getting tech modernized, but also removing barriers and keeping things secure. So great insight there. Does the Coast Guard have a contribution to the DOD's overall concept of JADC2 and kind of what's your data readiness approach to that? Right. So uh, I'll talk a little bit about the difference between DOD and DHS. You know, uh, we operate as part of the DOD information network. Uh, so we take all operational commands from the DOD. I meet with the DOD CIO. You know, he, he, I'm counted as one of his, you know, principles. If there's a cyber direction, cyber task order, um, you know, anything coming out of the NSA or Cybercom or DISA, you know, we have to, we have to abide by that. But um, even though I'm part of the DOD network and we're required by law to be interoperable with DOD, I work for DHS, right? I'm a DHS component. And so I have to also abide by their policies as well. And um, so they give me my budget. So uh, so I don't directly engage with what's going on in JADC2. I am very uh, well read into it. I understand what the Navy's doing. I'm on board. But that being said, we're we're kind of doing our own version of JADC2. And I think a lot of the services are kind of doing that too. So when I think of our JADC2 initiative, it's all about data, data transport, access to data, you know, information sharing, uh, security of data. And um, we have a lot of systems that uh, were level one acquisitions that we bought, um, you know, lock, stock, and barrel. And there was, even I think if there was a contractual obligation for those uh, type one or level one systems to interoperate, it would, would have been too expensive. And so um, I think the way that we're looking at it is kind of melting the iceberg. Let's figure out, what our architecture should look like. It should be based around an integrated data environment, you know, a big data platform. Uh, we should have interface standards so that um, if you buy a sensor or uh, if you contract for a sensor, that sensor should be able to comply with the standards so you can plug it in to our C2 ecosystem. I think that's the spirit of JADC2. And, and uh, you know, my hope is that uh, we stay away from those, those uh, level one acquisitions and, and we can have more of an agile, um, lower level, maybe acquisitions or even procurements. So when we think about our Rescue 21 system, right, that's a, um, 
That's a communication system on the VHF band. Uh, and it also has a component where it's trying to triangulate on um, on on vessels based on uh, different towers and things like that. You know, it's it's really kind of it's not simple technology, but it's uh, it's technology that's prevalent, right? The cell phone. Do you do that with cell phone towers and things like that? Maybe in the future, it shouldn't be we buy, you know, a level one type Rescue 21 VHF communication system. Maybe we buy a bunch of radios. You know, we install them on towers. We uh, plug those into the integrated data environment. We plug in um, other signals like AIS signals. Maybe we take uh, readily available commercial data that could be integrated into that data environment and provide a more robust picture for situational awareness, right? So uh, if you're at a command center, you have a kind of a Rescue 21 screen, you have an AIS screen, you have cameras, you have things, and not in, in depending on what room you're in, you may see different pictures. Uh, so there's no place where it's kind of bringing all that data together. And I think that's where we're going. It's not JADC2 per se, but it definitely has the same intent. And so that's, I think that's our contribution to JADC2. Okay. That makes a lot of sense, especially when you're talking about, you know, the two, it's a very similar mission to defense, but Homeland, you know, it does have a lot of interplay there. So that does make a lot of sense. Yeah. So, uh, so our MDA requirement, our maritime domain awareness requirement is from the coastline out to the edge of the 200 mile exclusive economic zone. That's nearly uh, 20 million square nautical miles. That's a lot of ground to cover. And, um, you know, so we got to figure out, you know, there's a, again, that risk conversation. What can we afford, right? Where should we really be looking at to gain situational awareness? Do we need to do it over 20 million square miles or, you know, what's the balance there? Right. So Deputy CIO Brian Campo did tell me that the Coast Guard is planning to launch a software factory. Mm -hmm. So can you walk me through how this will enhance cybersecurity at the Coast Guard? Sure. Um, so let me just talk a little bit about software factory uh, and the fact that it is, um, you know, there are other services, there are other organizations that are building their own software factories. Um, you know, we kind of looked at some, I think we looked at the Air Force to see if we can get in with them. And uh, we made the decision to go uh, with our own organic version. A lot of that has to do with, um, you know, our interaction with the public. You know, we, we need to be able to um, have public access for some things. And so that's one of the reasons why uh, we looked at it. But, but it's basically buying, um, you know, a space in the cloud uh, that has, you know, its own security measures uh, within it. And um, and our, our, we'll have teams, and we haven't kind of figured out the teams and how do you hire the teams or what contract do you use for the teams? Or would you even say if you were an operational commander and you had some money and maybe you, maybe you buy your own team? We've, we haven't figured that out yet. But, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of flexibility built in there. 
Um, as long as you build on our secure cloud space, right, you, you can, you know, kind of the sky's the limit. But, um, you know, as we talked at my last panel, you don't want to kind of a, you, a proliferation of that. Um, I think some redundancy is okay, but you don't want to have a million different apps, you know, some get used, some don't get used, uh, some supersede others, you know, you, there's a governance piece to that, but, but as far as cybersecurity goes, so the, the theory, and we have not gotten the ATO yet, so I can't tell you if this is going to work or not. Um, that's up to the AO, uh, the authorizing uh, official. But um, the theory is if the team is certified uh, to operate in the software factory, then the product that they make will be cyber secure. Now, one of the things that we'll have to kind of walk through is how does the AO verify that? You know, those are the, those are the discussions that we're having. But um, And then when you're hiring a team, uh, you got to either hire a, a certified team or you got to hire a team that needs to get certified. And so, you know, how do you, how do you work through that? I think those are all questions that are unanswered. Um, the goodness in the software factory is that you get to DevSecOps, right? Um, you can get, you know, lightweight or, you know, just um, microservices for, um, for systems that, you know, are kind of monolithic right now. You can kind of really scope down to something that's uh, small, it's agile, it's reusable, and it's secure. And um, that's kind of different than the direction that we've been going, right? I think it's pretty common in industry right now that that's microservices is kind of the way to go. We're just, you know, we're just, we're usually uh, a few years behind everybody else, which is good because there are others that are kind of paving the way for us. They can make the mistakes. They first. can make the mistakes. We, t as long as we use the lessons learned, right. Um, we shouldn't be making the same mistake twice, but um, I'm okay with not being on the bleeding edge. Sure. Well, in your prior role, uh, you were at U.S. Cyber Command. Is there anything from that role that kind of informs your CIO role now as you approach cybersecurity and, and tech in the Coast Guard? Right. So uh, I was a Cybercom uh, J7, which was I was in charge of all the exercises and training, uh, how to get uh, from um, someone that's just entering the cyber force all the way up to fully certified operator exploitation analyst. Uh, you know, there's 17 different roles within the cyber workforce. So, you know, how do you make those? And then the exercise piece is how do you, uh, how do you continue to, you know, hone your skills and, 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 you know, be the most proficient cyber force possible. So it was very operationally focused. It was focused, uh, on the adversary, right? And so, um, it was an extremely dynamic environment. And uh, I would say that, you know, there was a lot of pressure to, uh, to get ready to readiness was, was the coin of the realm. Right. Um, and so uh, I moved from that kind of very dynamic environment 
that was always changing, um, where we were responding to the adversary every day and um, into a more programmatic job with a uh, chance to really kind of look out strategically and see, you know, what are our problems now? Uh, where do we want to go? Uh, my predecessor, Rear Admiral Dave Dermanellian, did, did just this amazing job kind of setting me up for success, setting the organization up for success. I think um, under his tenure, you know, we increased uh, the IT budget by about 30%. And um, so <clears throat> he gave me the mold, uh, the, the clay, the, you know, the all the building blocks. Now we're just really trying to refine what had already been done, you know, so, so you're giving, you're given a whole bunch of money to recapitalize. It's, you know, but it's a, it, you cannot uh, satiate the environment, right? There's always going to be requirements uh, from the 11 statutory missions, from all the business systems, you know, HR, finance, engineering, logistics, and then, you know, all the cybersecurity and zero trust requirements. So, uh, you know, we just talked at my last panel about it's a risk discussion. Uh, how much zero trust can I afford? Uh, I don't think I can, I can fully implement zero trust. I don't have the budget for that. So, um, you but know, it's where, a mindset, right? Right, right. Well, where do you take risk and, um, and where do you, um, invest in, in capability. That's, that's, you know, I think that was kind of one of the things that I talked about as my top three priorities. So having that risk discussion, you know, it proliferates through everything that I do and every activity that I have each day is, uh, ultimately comes down to what are we going to do and what are we not going to do? And those are hard conversations to have. Uh, the what are we not going to do, uh, that can go all over the place, right? You can gold plate a what What are we not going to do and make it seem like you're carrying a whole bunch of risk. But um, what are we not going to do that's tolerable, I guess? Um, so, so those are the conversations that I'm having. I think that's the difference between my cybercom job and, um, and my job as a CIO. One was much more operational. Uh, this job is much more uh, programmatic and strategic. So, so yeah, so I'm really excited. I, I love this job. Um, I'm very happy where I'm at and um, just, you know, glad to serve. Awesome. Well, this was a great look into some of your, how you're thinking about tech at the Coast Guard and um, how, how you're kind of juggling, you know, the two different sides with DHS and DOD and a uh, really fascinating conversation. So thank you so much. Great. Thank you. Cybercast, along with GovCast and HealthCast, is a production of GovCIO Media and Research. For more podcasts and to check out the other shows, head to govciomedia.com. Watch out for new episodes released every Tuesday and Wednesday across our shows. You can follow all of them on your favorite podcast platform. And if you like what you heard, make sure to let us know by leaving a review. And if you have any topics you think we should look into, contact us at newsletter at govcio.com.